0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters' 90-minute bottomless brunch can be added to the purchase of any entree for an additional $20. Bottomless options include mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and Bud Lights.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: one ball two strikes the count and Corbin sets kicks and fires swing and a fly ball deep to left down the line going going gone goodbye and now he delivers swing and a line drive base hit into left center field this is going to split the outfielders and go all the way to the wall Segura scores Sosa speeding around third he'll score Stott heading for third slides in ahead of the throw with a two-run triple And the Phillies are pouring it on against Patrick Corbin here in the bottom of the first inning. It is now the Phillies' six and the Nationals, nothing.
0: His value to us is starting, right? I mean, so we want to continue to try to figure this out. But, you know, at what point, you know, as we all sit back, you know, you're you're right. At what point do we say, hey, you know, I think, you know, maybe we should just, you know, go in a different direction. But I don't want to make that decision right now. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, August 7th, 2022. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the podcast. Hope that he's enjoying his weekend. Hope that you're enjoying your weekend. It's good to be with you. Hope that you weren't thrown off by the game time for the Nationals game on Saturday evening. What was supposed to be a 6.05 first pitch ended up being a 6.39 first pitch as the Phillies prior to the game inducted two players from their 1980 World Series championship team, Ron Reed and Bake McBride, into the Phillies' Wall of Fame. Not sure where the miscommunication was to where we did not find out until Saturday that first pitch was not going to be at 6.05. But you know what? Perhaps nobody told Patrick Corbin. Heck, maybe Corbin thought that what he was throwing on Saturday evening was batting practice and not an actual game because what we ended up seeing was something that looked a whole lot like batting practice. What Patrick Corbin ended up throwing sure looked a lot like batting practice. An 11-5 loss for the Nats at the Phillies on Saturday night in Game 3 of a four-game series. The Nats now have lost the last two games in this series, 18-7. The Nats now are a major league worst 36-73, including 9-41 against the National League East. And the Nats now have a major league worst run differential of minus 184. And let's just get right to what was the headline item in this game. Patrick Corbin struggled for a sixth consecutive start and did not make it out of the first inning for a second time in three starts. Do you remember when Patrick Corbin had those back-to-back good starts? We've talked about the back-to-back good starts. And the back-to-back good starts really weren't that long ago. A 3-1 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park on June 28th. Corbin in that game, one run in eight innings, 12 strikeouts. He was great in that game. 3-2 tenanting loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on July 4th. Right? July 4th isn't that long ago. Corbin in that game, one run in seven innings. and yet. Since then, Patrick Corbin has gotten shredded over six starts. Like, you talk about the calm before the storm. We all know that Patrick Corbin has been bad since the start of the 2020 season. What has happened with him over these last six starts is like a new level of bad. And the irony that this new level of bad has been reached off back-to-back good starts really is something when you think about it. And here's how you know that we are now at a new level of bad. Davey Martinez on Saturday night during his postgame session with reporters did not dismiss putting Patrick Corbin in the bullpen. You know, I feel bad. I man. he's going out there and believe me, he's not trying to you know, miss his location. He's not trying, he's trying to get outs and uh, he's just not finishing hitters. The thing that has been talked about by many of us for a while now, but seemingly has never been truly entertained by the dance, certainly not publicly, that now apparently is on the table. Now, Davey did not commit to anything. Davy said that he did not want to make a decision right now. Davy said that he wanted to talk to Patrick Corbin. And by the way, I applaud Davy for that. You shouldn't say anything rash or out there immediately after a wretched performance like what we had from Corbin on Saturday night. And, you know, knowing how Davey is, he's not the type to do that anyway. But for the first time during the struggles of Patrick Corbin, it is sounding like Corbin may be headed to the bullpen or maybe somewhere else. I mean, maybe the Nats come up with some phony baloney injury and park Corbin on an injured list. Who knows? But the point would be that the thing that you have heard said over and over and over and over again, which is he's not going anywhere, right? The Nats don't have anyone better. At this point, it feels like just about anyone would be better than Patrick Corbin. It is rough to watch, it's kind of sad. I mean, you know, I don't want to play a violin for a guy on a 60 or $140 million contract, but this can't be fun for him. This has got to be embarrassing for him. And this is now a new level of bad. This is a new level of embarrassing. I don't know how you categorize it any other way. Patrick Corbin on Saturday night allowed six runs and recorded just two outs. And if that sounds familiar, it should. This was the second time in three starts that Patrick Corbin allowed six runs and recorded just two outs. Patrick Corbin on Saturday night in the bottom of the first allowed six runs on five hits, two walks, and a hit by pitch. The five hits were two home runs, a triple, and two singles. Patrick Corbin on Saturday night threw 43 pitches. A mere 22 of the 43 pitches were strikes. 22 strikes versus 21 balls. Yes, his strikes to balls ratio was essentially one to one. What you're usually aiming for is a strikes to balls ratio of two to one. You know, and if you could do better than that, great. One to one is pretty bad. And that's what we got from Corbin on Saturday night. Like I said, batting practice, man. Corbin gave up a one-out solo home run to Reese Hoskins on a bomb to left field for a one-nothing Phillies lead. You know, Citizens Bank Park is a bandbox of a ballpark. A lot of home runs that are hit at the sit uh aren't exactly moonshots. This was a moonshot. Reese Hoskins Homer off Corbin in the bottom of the first on Saturday night went a projected 441 feet. First ad cast. The homer marked Hoskins homering in the first inning for a third consecutive game in this series. Reese Hoskins all of a sudden is pulling a Kyle Schwarber and homering in the first inning of each game in this series here so far against the Dads. So Corbin gave up the bomb to Hoskins. Corbin then issued a one-out eight-pitch walk of Alec Bohm. Corbin then gave up a two-out opposite field single to Nick Castellanos to right field on a one-two pitch. Corbin then gave up another homer. A two-out, three-run homer to Matt Veerling to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 4 nothing Phillies lead. And notice here, right, these last two hits I just took you through coming on 1-2 pitches. Patrick Corbin, he has had a hard time putting batters away. He had a hard time putting batters away on Saturday night. Then Corbin gave up a two-out single to Gene Segura. The ball went off Corbin and up the middle. Corbin then issued a two-out hit-by-pitch of Edmundo Sosa. Corbin then gave up a two-out, two-run first pitch opposite field triple to Bryson Stott to the left center field gap for a 6 nothing Phillies lead. Corbin then issued a two-out, six-pitch walk of ex-NAT Kyle Schwarber, and that was it. Corbin mercifully was pulled from the game. Like I said, we just went through this. Six runs in two-thirds of an inning. July 27th, a 7-1 Nats loss at the Los Angeles Dodgers. Corbin, in that game, six runs recorded, just two outs. He gave up seven hits in that game, three doubles and four singles, issued a walk. And as was the case on Saturday night, Corbin, in that game at the Dodgers on July 27th, could barely find the plate, 45 pitches, 26 strikes versus 19 balls. So Patrick Corbin, two of his last three starts now, has had the exact same final line. Six runs in two-thirds of an inning. He since those back-to-back good starts in those games against the Pirates and Marlins. And as we have pointed out previously, those two starts were, yes, good starts, but they were good starts that came against two bad-hitting teams in the Pirates and Marlins. So six starts since the back-to-back good starts. Corbin, over those six starts, 30 earned runs in 21 and two thirds innings. Think about that. 30 earned runs in 21 and two thirds innings. Corbin for the season, 23 starts, ERA of 702, whip of 182. He ranks dead last among all qualified pitchers in the majors in ERA and whip. And like I said, at this point, you know, it's not like smack Corbin around like a pinata time anymore. It just isn't. It's embarrassing. It's not right. You know, it feels like this is wrong to keep putting him out there. I think we long ago passed the point at which we said just about everything that there is to say about this stunning decline of Patrick Corbin and how he has become so prone to giving up contact and how he has stopped striking guys out and how his 2022 season is worse than his 2021 season, which was worse than his 2020 season and that the Nats keep having him start games is maybe the ultimate indictment of the Nats' lack of organizational pitching depth. I mean, I could sit here and yell and scream about how bad Patrick Corbin is, but you know how bad Patrick Corbin is. He has to know how bad he is. Like I said, it's almost cruel at this point to keep starting him. I mean, you would think just out of kindness, you would remove him from the Nats rotation at this point. I think what strikes me the most right now in talking to you about Patrick Corbin off this latest debacle by him is that, you know, you have this bigger picture of the Nats that we have been discussing so much lately, because the bigger picture is what matters right now more than anything. The bigger picture, of course, has come into focus so much this week off the trading away of Juan Soto. And I don't know at this point how you don't look at the struggles of Patrick Corbin and say... No doubt the struggles make Corbin look very bad but do the struggles not also make the Nats look really bad maybe just as bad that the Nats have never mind no fix for this but that they can't even get their arms around this to stop the decline or slow down the decline you know that the Nats can't stop the proverbial bleeding that they can't stop Corbin from getting increasingly worse. What does that say about this team? What does that say about this team's ability to coach up slash develop slash fix players? I mean, that we are three years into this decline of Patrick Corbin and that there still isn't like a theory for why what has happened to this guy has happened to this guy is remarkable, isn't it? You know, I was thinking about this earlier on Saturday. It was about a year ago now that we got that Ryan Zimmerman theory. Do you remember this? August 8th, 2021, Ryan Zimmerman, when asked about Patrick Corbin's struggles, quote,
1: I think a lot of people forget <laughs> he was, uh, for lack of better words, abused in 2019 in the, in the playoff run.
0: You know, he did things that he's never done before for us to win that World Series, And not to relitigate that, but I thought that that was a very shaky theory for a lot of reasons. And, you know, Zimmerman probably said that more so to stick up for Corbin, to stick up for a teammate than anything else. And I can respect Zimmerman for doing that. You know, you stand by your teammate, you try to defend him to at least a certain degree. I can respect Ryan Zimmerman for doing that. I don't think that that theory was accurate, but isn't it telling that that's like the only real theory that has been put out there for why Patrick Corbin has fallen off a cliff like this? I mean, we all know what has happened. No one really has a good explanation for the why of the what. But back to the Nats, I ask you, what does it say about the Nats that this incredible decline of Patrick Corbin has happened under their watch? Patrick Corbin, a pitcher to whom the Nats gave a six-year, $140 million free agent contract in December 2018. Patrick Corbin, a pitcher who was a very good pitcher as recently as 2019. And look, maybe this decline of Patrick Corbin would have happened with each of the other 29 teams in Major League Baseball, okay? Maybe there is no fixing Patrick Corbin. Maybe the Nats have tried everything that should be tried with Patrick Corbin and nothing has taken. Maybe the Nats have told Patrick Corbin exactly what he should be doing And for whatever reason, he is not doing those things. And all of this is on Patrick Corbin. Or maybe he's just unfixable. You know, there are things here that we do not know. But you tell me right now, given what we do know, given where we are with the Nats, given what we've seen from them for a while now in terms of player development, given what we're seeing with guys who used to be on the Nats and how those guys are doing elsewhere. You know what's so funny about Saturday night is that Austin Voth started for the Orioles on Saturday night. What was a 6-3 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And Austin Voth in this game, look, he was not lights out, but three runs in five innings. He had five strikeouts versus one walk. Austin Voth now, since being claimed off waivers from the Nats by the O's on June 7th, 12 games, eight starts, 36 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 319. This is the same Austin Voth who over four plus major league seasons with the Nats had an ERA of 570. And you know, this is not to say that Austin Voth all of a sudden is a Cy Young candidate. This is not to say that Austin Voth a month from now might not have an ERA over five, but Austin Voth has become like the poster boy here, right? Of what is going on with the Nats? And why can't they get through to someone? And then he goes to another team and that team seemingly gets through to him and like right away. So Patrick Corbin right now, how do you not look at him and at least not ask the question, why isn't it that the Nats aren't doing a better job with him? How dismissive do you want to be of the Nats not looking bad at all with this fall of Patrick Corbin, this incredible fall? No doubt, Corbin looks really bad. But right now, I don't know how you don't say that the Nats look bad, too. You can always email the Nats Chat Podcast, Podcast at gmail.com. Email from Corbin. Corbin is that $100 meal that you buy <laughs> when you're drunk and it stays in your fridge for four days. You say you're going to eat it, but really all you need is McDonald's. Just throw it out. The money is spent. He's not useful. You know what? When you get new ownership in, I wonder if there might be something worked out here. You know, maybe one of the parts of the purchase of the Nats will be some sort of resolution to Patrick Corbin's contractual situation. Maybe the new buyer will be like, hey, uh, learners, you and I are going to split what it's going to cost to get rid of Patrick Corbin here. You know, who knows what might end up being negotiated here? I mean, he only has two years left on the contract, but I don't know how the Nats can keep going through this with Patrick Corbin. Email from Brandon. Been a busy week for this team to say the least. I haven't heard any post game quotes yet, but is this finally the end of Patrick Corbin in the rotation? For a contract that looks so good after 19, it is mind boggling what has happened to the guy in just three years. If not now, when is the end? Yeah, man, no doubt. The decline is something else, and you have to ask the question how did this happen? Why? has this happened. You know, it's not just a guy declining somewhat. It's a guy falling off precipitously. It's hard to remember another Nats player who fell off like this over the course of three seasons off having been at such a high level. You know, not that he was an ace, but he was a really good and valuable pitcher for the Nats in 2019. And this decline over three seasons, which has not been like injury related because, you know, some guys get hurt. They can't stay healthy, etc., That has not been the thing with Patrick Corbin. It's just that he has gone from being a good pitcher to being quantifiably the worst pitcher in the majors. Email from Alois Widener in Burke, Virginia. I'm a daily listener of your podcast. It is truly one of the best baseball podcasts out there. And I enjoy listening. I have learned so much and find you to be knowledgeable and professional. Well, thank you, Alois. Continues, Alois, as I watch the abysmal pitching performances of that starting rotation, especially Patrick Corbin, I have to ask, Why are we not discussing the elephant in the room, Jim Hickey? Doesn't some of the responsibility for the failures of the Nats starting rotation fall on him? Today, I heard you talk about the archaic approach the Nats have taken to player development and analytics. Could this be a major factor in why the pitching staff is so poor? And then Alois uh, gets into talking about Austin Voth. Well, thank you for the email, Alois. Look, I'm always kind of Reluctant to do the knee jerk, cliche sports talk thing of like pitching bad, blame the pitching coach, hitting bad, blame the hitting coach. You know, like it's usually not that simple. And most coaches, pitching coaches, hitting coaches are only as good as the talent that those guys have. Leo Mazzoni for years was looked at as like this brilliant pitching coach. And I'm not saying that he wasn't a good pitching coach, but he was with the Atlanta Braves in the days of Greg Maddox, Tom and John Smoltz. And those guys helped to make Leo Mazzoni look really good. Leo Mazzoni eventually went to the Orioles. And you know what happened? Leo Mazzoni didn't look so good when he was the Orioles pitching coach. So it's like, when you have good pitchers, you tend to look good. And when you don't have good pitchers, you tend to not look so good. But yeah, I mean, I do think it's fair to ask the question is this guy, Jim Hickey, doing a good job? You know, when you see Patrick Corbin fall off, when you see what's happened with Eric Fetty over the last few seasons where he gets off to a good start and then he just like completely unravels, when you see the disappointing season right now that you have to say Josiah Gray is having, like, yeah, I don't think you're wrong to at least ask the question, is the right guy serving as the Nats pitching coach?
1: So, you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger,
0: for the ones who get it done.
2: Now, the pitch. Half swing and a little looper to right. Thomas coming over will drop in front of him on a hop. Real Muto held up in case it was caught so he could tag. Comes down the line to score on a check swing. Single into right field for Castellanos. A double, a triple, a single, and two runs home for the Phillies. It's now Philadelphia 8 and Washington nothing.
0: Well, this latest clunker from Patrick Corbin, of course, meant that the Nats bullpen got leaned on a ton on Saturday night. Six Nats relievers ended up being used in this 11-5 loss at the Phillies. And the results were mixed. I mean, look, you six relievers, I mean, what are you expecting? You're not going to get excellence from all six guys, at least not usually. Six Nats relievers on Saturday night combined to allow five runs in seven and a third innings. Jordan Weems allowed three runs in two and a third innings. He in the bottom of the second allowed three runs on a triple, two doubles, and a single to give the Phillies a 9 nothing lead. Uh, Steve Ciszek did toss a perfect bottom of the fourth. Uh, Hunter Harvey did toss a scoreless bottom of the fifth that we gave up Two singles. Carl Edwards Jr. struggled. Bottom of the sixth, gave up two runs. He issued a leadoff four pitch walk of Alec Bohm, then gave up a two run homer to JT Riomuto to center field for an 11 4 Phillies lead. The homer went a projected 415 feet for a stat cast. And Edwards in the inning issued a one out seven pitch walk of Matt Vierling and gave up a one out single to Gene Segura. So Edwards did not have a good outing. Kyle Finnegan looked good. He tossed a perfect bottom of the seventh. Andres Machado tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth. Now, the Nats on Saturday night did hit. Uh, Now, they did not hit like the Phillies hit. And the Nats' good hitting came with the game already having essentially been decided. Like I just said, the game was 9-0 after Jordan Weems allowed three runs in the bottom of the second. But the Nats actually finished with the same amount of hits as the Phillies had, 13. The Nats scored four runs in the top of the sixth and a run in the top of the seventh. And a good number of Nats had some pretty good offensive games here on Saturday night. Luke Voigt hit his first home run as a Nat. I'd say so far, so good for Luke Voigt as a Nat. He was a Nat starting first baseman and number three batter, two for four with a solo homer, a single and a hit by pitch. Uh, Voigt in an Nats four run six had a leadoff opposite field home run to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 9-1. Voigt in an Nats one run seventh drew a leadoff hit by pitch. And Voigt in the top of the ninth had a leadoff single to left field. So good stuff from Luke Voigt. Lane Thomas on Saturday night had three hits. He was a Nats starting right fielder in number six batter. Three for four with a double, a single, an infield single, and an RBI sack fly. He in the top of the second had a two-out infield single to the right side of the infield to beat the shift on a 1-2 pitch. Thomas in that Nats four-run sixth, a one-out double to left field on a 1-2 pitch. He in the one-run seventh had a one-out RBI sack fly. To cut the Nats' deficit to 11-5 and Thomas in the top of the ninth. A one-out full-count single to left field. Victor Robles had a two-hit game on Saturday night. Victor actually has now two two two-hit games in this series so far. He, again, was the Nats' starting center fielder and number one batter. Two for five with a double and an RBI single. Top of the fifth, a two-out first pitch double to left field. He had the Nats' four-run six had a two-out RBI single on a grounder to the Philly shortstop, Bryson Stott. Deep in the hole to cut the Nats' deficit to 9-4. Tres Barrera had a big hit. He was an Nats starting catcher at number eight batter, one for four with a two-run double. He in that four-run six had a two-out two-run double to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 9-3 despite having been down to the count at 1.12. This was just Tres Barrera's fourth hit since the Nats brought him back up from AAA Rochester. July 1st was when the Nats recalled Barrera from AAA Rochester. Now, he's not playing a ton, but he really has not hit. I mean, again, four hits since he was brought back up on July 1st. But he did have a big hit on Saturday night. So, you know, the Nats, to their credit, were awake offensively, <laughs> unlike for the most part on Friday night. But, you know, it doesn't matter. When you're down 9 nothing. like, you can have 13 hits and score five runs and have some big hits. And that stuff's nice. I mean, I don't want to just totally discount it, but... You're down 9 nothing. I mean, you get buried over the first two innings of the game. Good luck making the game competitive. And, you know, there just was only so much that the Nats were going to do as this game went on on Saturday night. A few other notes from the game. Nelson Cruz was back. He was a Nats starting DH and number four batter. He was back from a three-game absence caused by a stiff neck. One for three with an infield single and two walks. Uh, he, in the top of the second, had a leadoff full count infield single on a slow roller third base. Top of the fourth drew a one out five pitch walk. Top of the ninth drew a seven pitch walk. So on the one hand, you say, well, Nelson Cruz got on base three times. Okay. But on the other hand, you know, this just stunning lack of power from Nelson Cruz continues. His slugging percentage for the season is down to 343. And, you know, as we're now past the trade deadline and Nelson Cruz's true purpose for the Nats now is not being served, which is for him to serve as a trade chip. I don't want the Nats feeling like this extreme loyalty to Nelson Cruz to where like he has to continue to be the every game DH and has to continue to be that number four batter or maybe number five batter. I mean, you know, I'm not saying you got to embarrass the guy and make him your number nine batter. But if I'm Davey Martinez, if I'm Mike Rizzo, I'm starting to employ a little more flexibility here with Nelson Cruz. And, you know, he does not have to be your everyday DH Get your younger players played appearances here. Get other people involved here to whatever extent you have other people who you want to get involved. I mean, some of this is just you're trying to play out the season. I get that. But, you know, it's over with Nelson Cruz. The signing was a failure, Okay, Even if he hits down the stretch of the season, the signing still was a failure. He was signed to be a trade chip, and that the Nats couldn't trade him by the trade deadline. I think it's a very underrated aspect of this week. Now, (laughs) there have been some bigger, more important things that have happened with the Nats this week. But, like, you know, I don't want to just, like, lose sight of this with Nelson Cruz. Like, this signing has flopped, you know, because he has struggled and because the Nats ended up not being able to trade him. So now that he's with you the rest of the season, again, you don't have to embarrass him, but you also don't have to play him every game as your starting DH and cleanup batter. So it'll be interesting to see how Nelson Cruz gets used. Now, one thing about Nelson Cruz is that he does hustle. I mean, this is his age 41 season. He's a bigger guy. He's dealt with some nagging injuries this season. But the guy does hustle. And I give him full credit for that. And you saw the hustle on that infield single. Again, top of the second on Saturday night. Lead off full count infield single on a slow roller toward third base. One, Joey Manessis could learn a thing or two from Nelson Cruz. Joey Manessis on Saturday night was an ad starting left fielder and number five batter. He went one for four with a single and a walk. He left four men on base, but Manessis in the Nats one-run seventh had a one-out single off the left field wall.
1: Swing! It's golfed in the air to left center field and deep. Schwarber back on this one, looking up, and it is off the top of the wall in play. Cruz heading for third. Manessis has to slam on the brakes and dives back into first.
0: With Schwarber firing a strike into the second baseman Segura. Well, that one sure looked like it might get out. He out of the box was admiring his hit, as opposed to hustling he pretty clearly thought that he had hit a home run. Well, Joey, you did not hit a home run and you wound up on first base as opposed to second base. That's really inexcusable for any player. That's especially inexcusable for Joey Manessis, okay? This season is Joey Meneses's age 30 season. This season was Joey Manessis' 10th minor league season. You know, all due respect to Joey Manessis, but who are you to not hustle When you hit the ball a long way, okay? Like, what exactly have you done here in your professional baseball career to where you're gonna admire a well hit ball, you know, credit to you for that, but you're not gonna go all out. Like, you've waited a decade, you've toiled for a decade in the minors. Now that you're in the majors, you should be running like your pants are on fire anytime you make contact. Like, I don't get that at all. You're Joey Manessis, okay? Nelson Cruz is hustling for infield singles. You're Joey Manessis. You can hustle when you hit a ball a long way, just in case it doesn't end up being the home run that you thought that you hit. So (laughs) I got a kick out of that on Saturday night. And then one more thing, and, you know, I don't want to keep hitting this guy like a punching bag But Cesar Hernandez on Saturday night was back up near the top of Davey Martinez's lineup. Someone has got to explain to me this fixation with Cesar Hernandez batting in the one spot or the two spot. Like I said with Nelson Cruz, we're past the trade deadline, Okay, It's over. It's done. Nelson Cruz, Cesar Hernandez, a bunch of other guys on this team, they're all going to be gone next season. They're not going to be back for next year. You don't have to feel this loyalty to them. Like I said, you don't have to embarrass them. But why are you still batting Cesar Hernandez in the one spot or the two spot? Cesar on Saturday night was an ad starting second baseman and number two batter. He went 0 for 5 with two strikeouts and left six men on base. Cesar Hernandez this season, when batting in the two spot, has an OPS of 587. Cesar Hernandez this season, when batting in the one spot, has an OPS of 588. So he's been consistent, if nothing else, when batting in the one spot or the two spot. But this thing of Cesar Hernandez batting high up in Davies lineups, it just hasn't worked. And actually, if you really want to stick to the numbers, Cesar actually has been a more effective hitter when not batting it in the one and two spots. His overall OPS for the year is 604, better than his OPS when batting in the one spot, better than the OPS when batting in the two spots. So, you know, look, I know Nats have the worst record in the majors to get sucked into Davies lineups and who should be batting where. It feels kind of like minutia talk, and maybe it is, okay? But again, like everything kind of matters here. And how about, you know, you don't feel this incredible loyalty To Cesar Hernandez in the one spot or the two spot, no one can say that Davey didn't give Cesar a good-faith effort, a good-faith try, batting up toward the tops of lineups this season. It just hasn't worked, and it's not going to all of a sudden start working, and it certainly didn't work on Saturday night. Like I said, Cesar in that number two spot, 0 for 5 with two strikeouts and left six men on base. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. Hit up Tim Showvers. Again, that email address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. That's NatsChatPodcast.square.site. Natch Chat is on the radio on Sunday mornings, uh, Sunday mornings at 9 on both 1061 ESPN in Richmond. You can listen online at ESPNRichmond.com and on Sports Radio 965 FM and 850 AM in the Hampton Roads area. You can listen online at Sports Radio 965 FM.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Natch Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening to this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast.
1: The pitch. Swing a high drive right field deep. Back on this one, Castellanos to the warning track looking up, and it's gone. Luke Voigt's first home run as a national is an opposite field cloud over the wall in right center field. That'll be his 14th of the season overall. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up.